Thanks so much, John. Really good to see you guys. Uh, had a great time at the marriage conference. And we got Palentine's Day, all these opportunities to connect. I hope you're taking advantage of these opportunities because we don't just want to be a church body that comes together and sits facing the same direction for an hour on Sunday morning. We want to be a church family. We, we really want to be an ohana. And so I'll take advantage of these opportunities to connect, meet folks, and then hopefully get engaged in regular community and community groups all through the week. We got them all over the, the, this side of the island, at least. You can find one out at the Aloha table. They got cards for your area or it might fit your schedule. Just get connected. All right, we are continuing, just chugging along in Revelation. And as we do, let me ask you a question. How many times in life have you pursued something that you thought was going to make you free but ended up enslaving you? Something you thought was going to bring liberation but instead it brought oppression. Man, that has happened to me so many times. Like when we bought our first house, this is like 20 years ago, I was so stoked because I would be finally out from under a landlord. I would be free to determine my own affairs. It's my castle. This is my kingdom. Then we got the house, and after a month I realized, oh, no, I'm not free. I'm actually a slave to my house. Now I can't call up the landlord anymore when something breaks. Hey, could you come fix this? No, i got to fix it myself. I can't wait for the yard guys to come and mow the lawn. i got to weed whack that thing myself. That took hours for me. I realized I'm a slave to my house now. A couple of years after that, I got a promotion at work. I was thinking, oh, this is going to be awesome. This new responsibility is going to give me so much freedom. I do what I like with this new job. And then I got into it. And after a couple of weeks, I realized, oh, no, no. This job has actually enslaved me. What it really means is not freedom. It means more hours, more stress, more angry emails. And all of a sudden, I realized, oh, man, I'm a slave to my work now in a way I wasn't before. A couple of years after that, I bought a new phone, the very first iPhone. Did any of you have iPhone 1 like me? I'm the only one? All right. You worked for Microsoft then, right? Man, that was mutiny at that point. Micro, uh, I had iPhone 1 because I thought, oh, this is going to be so amazing. I'll be able to do work anywhere on this phone. I can answer emails at the store, on a hike, at the beach. And then after a week with this thing, I realized, oh, no, I made a terrible mistake. Now I have to answer angry emails at the store, on a hike, at the beach. I was a slave to my phone. There's so many things in this world that seem like they're going to make you free, but then they enslave you. You know why that is? Because that's the nature of the world itself. That's the nature of the world itself. It's so attractive, but ultimately oppressive. And family, Jesus wants to set us free. He wants to set us free. That's the theme of the next chapter in Revelation. So if you got your Bible, open to Revelation chapter 18. Revelation 18. We're on the home stretch of Revelation here. And today we're going to see God's final judgment on Babylon. Remember, Babylon was a code word that the first century Christian Christians used to refer to people and institutions and governments and empires who were opposed to God and to his people. In other words, Rome. That's who they, they were talking about when they used the word Babylon. The Roman Empire at that time, it was both loved and hated. Loved because it brought peace and prosperity to that part of the world, hated 
because it brought peace and prosperity through oppression. So if you bowed down to Rome, man, you could be swimming in cash like, like Scrooge McDuck. The opportunities were limitless. If you didn't bow down to Rome, you were going to get nothing but crack. It was not going to go well for you. And so the first century Christians that John's writing to, they're really torn. They want to bow down to Christ alone, but they're really tired of getting beaten down. And, and so they're starting to be like, hey, if you can't beat them, join them. Because Rome looks really attractive. But John wants to remind them, ultimately, it's oppression. So John, he wants to give some really good news to Christians in the first century and in every century that the Roman government, the Roman oppressors, and all oppressors are going to be destroyed. Jesus is coming back, and he's going to set us free. That's the good news we're going to get today. So let's pray, then we'll get that good news. Father, as we come in here today, so many of us have looked so many places to try and find freedom and fulfillment. And instead, we found enslavement and oppression. How many times do we need to go through that cycle before we finally realize that only Jesus can give us what we're really looking for? Help us to see what we can have in Jesus today. Help us to see how Jesus will set us free today. Help us to live in that freedom, starting today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, we're going to see God's judgment on Babylon and First century Christians would have immediately interpreted that as Rome. And this chapter kind of fits the Roman Empire, but not exactly. Not in every detail. And so it has to be that this is a picture of all human empires. All government empires. All corporate empires. All criminal empires. It's a picture of all the different ways that humans come together and try and make a name for themselves, try and worship themselves and glorify themselves more than they glorify God. We're going to see that really clearly especially at the beginning here. Look at Romans 18. We're going to start in verse 1. John says, After this I saw another angel with great authority coming down from heaven, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. He called out in a mighty voice, It is fallen. Babylon the great has fallen. Notice how that's in the past tense here. Rome still has 400 years to go. But this is in the past tense because it's so sure to happen. She has become a home for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, and a haunt for every unclean and despicable beast. This is God's judgment on the world, and I know it sounds scary, but this is really good news. Because there's human empires that look shiny and flashy and sexy, but they are built on suppression and subjection and enslavement. And they're all going to fall. Verse 3, for all the nations have drunk the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. The kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown wealthy from her sensuality and excess. In the Bible, sexual immorality is a metaphor for apostasy. All through the Bible. We saw that in Hosea last summer. God said to Hosea, go and marry a woman of promiscuity because my people are committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord. Acts of promiscuity. That was literally true at that time. God's people were going to pagan temples, committing ritual sexual practices as part of their worship of these idols. But at the same time, this is spiritually true. 
because sexual immorality, it, it's just a symptom of spiritual idolatry at a heart level, worshiping ourselves and our creation more than we worship God. Now, in the Bible, there's always some kind of judgment that comes in response to spiritual idolatry. And that's why it says in verse 4, I heard another voice from heaven. Come out of her, my people. I, I know you're, you're flirting with Babylon right now. No, no, don't do that anymore. Come out so that you will not share in her sins or receive any of her plagues. I know that you're tempted to bow down to Babylon, to bow down to this world, but you don't want to experience what this world is going to experience. So here's one last, 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 last chance to come out, to, to turn around and repent. Because it says in verse 5, her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. God has remembered her crimes. The hope that we have as followers of Jesus is that God forgets our crimes, forgets our sins. Not that he has a bad memory. It's that he doesn't hold our sins against us anymore because he held them against Jesus in our place. But for everyone who doesn't have Jesus, God remembers their sins. Their sins keep piling up one on top of another, kind of like that closet that's in your house where you just keep tossing junk. Toss one more thing in and rah, bend in and, and force the door closed until the next time you got one more thing that you can't quite throw away, but you don't know where to put it. So rah, get the door open, squeeze it into the top. One of these days, that pile of junk, the next time you open that door, whatever that junk is, old boxes, old clothes, old, old Britney Spears CDs, whatever it is that you've got in that closet, it's going to come crashing down on your head. It's been piled up on top of each other, and that's the way sin works if you don't have Jesus. So the angel says in verse 6, pay her back. Pay this world back the way she also paid, and double it according to her works. In the cup in which she mixed, mix a double portion for her. As much as she glorified herself and indulged her sensual and excessive ways, give her that much torment and grief, for she says in her heart, I sit as a queen. I'm not a widow. I'll never see grief. For this reason, her plagues will come in just one day. Death and grief and famine. She will be burned up with fire. Because the Lord God who judges her is mighty. And I know this judgment of God on the world, it's terrifying. But I promise you, I promise you, family, this is really good news. Because this is how God frees us, finally frees us from the oppression of this world. If you don't see that as good news, then it might be, might be. Because you are not being persecuted by this world, you are profiting from this world. It might be because you are bowing down to Babylon more than you bow down before our one true living God. But here's, here's the promise. No matter which side you're on, Jesus wants to free you. God wants to free you. There's all kinds of things in this world that we're tempted to bow down to, tempted to conform to, but God wants to free us from each one of them. We just saw the first one. Here's the first one that God wants to free us from. Human arrogance. Human arrogance, this, 
this way the world works that just glorifies itself. Babylon glorifies herself. That's what John says. Governments, companies, charities, churches. Wherever humans get together, eventually we're tempted to start glorifying ourselves and the things that we make more than we glorify God. And what happens when that goes on long enough? Then those institutions start to play God. Play God with your life. Now, God's the one who establishes human authority. We know that from Scripture. God is the one who institutes all human authority. It says in Colossians 1, He is the one who created thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities. There is nothing wrong with human authority. God put it there for a reason. The problem comes when human authorities start to usurp God's authority. Ronald Reagan said it this way. The nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm here from the government, and I'm here to help. I love that. I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. Because every government, every institution, sees itself as like the one and only solution to every problem in our society. The angel said, Babylon glorifies herself. They go way beyond the authority that God has given them to usurp and, and claim their own authority over everything. And they always say it's because they want to contribute. We're here to help. But it's really because they want to control. They want to control your actions, your relationships, your speech, your thoughts. And, and God's going to judge that. Here's the part where all you Republicans are quietly cheering inside. You're like, yes, God is going to judge government overreach. It's about time, right? You're feeling, really, you're feeling a little too smug right now. All you Democrats in the room, you're, you're feeling a little offended right now. You're like, shots fired here. Don't worry. Don't worry. God is an equal opportunity offender in a little bit. He'll take some shots at Republican free market capitalists. You just got to wait a few minutes, all right? Let's keep going in verse 9. The angel says, the kings of the earth who have committed sexual immorality and shared her sensual and excessive ways will weep and mourn over her when they see the smoke from her burning. They'll stand far off in fear of her torment, saying, woe, woe, the great city, Babylon, the mighty city, for in a single hour your judgment has come. Because of your sensual and excessive ways. Now that we've repeated it this many times, it's clear we're getting beyond metaphor to reality here. We're, we're talking about sexual immorality in real life. And so here's one more thing that God wants to free us from. Self-destructive sexuality. Self-destructive sexuality. Because it says the kings of this earth are going to mourn and weep over the fall of Babylon. Why? Because they've been having so much fun in life. They're like, man, God is ruining our fun. He's taken away our sensual and excessive ways. We really liked our sensual and excessive ways. But down deep, everybody at some point realizes just how empty those sensual and excessive ways really are. They just don't want to admit it. The sexual revolution was supposed to bring joy, fulfillment instead it brought fear and frustration to relationships. Legalized abortion was supposed to set women free. They wouldn't have to worry about consequences anymore. So they could be just as free as men, could be just as active 
as they wanted. Instead, it brought up fights for women. It did. Men became, and this is scientifically known, men increased in their oppressive sexual behavior after abortion was legalized. Why is that? Because all of a sudden, men could say, you don't have to worry about the consequences anymore, so you should do what I tell you to do. You should do what I want you to do. Sexual abuse has skyrocketed over the past 50 years. And family, God wants to free us from all that. From all of these ways that we thought we could be free and instead we've become enslaved. He wants to free us from self-destructive sexuality because, because sex is like fire, right? In an emu, a fire is so helpful, nourishing. Over time, that fire in an emu, it'll roast your pig, roast your, your Thanksgiving turkey. Outside the emu, what can fire do? Make some, make some fireworks and, and eventually it'll burn down your house. It might be big and exciting, but eventually it's going to burn down your house. Sex is just the same. Inside the emu of marriage, it's warm and, and nourishing. It, it gets better over time because it gets more meaningful over time. Outside of the emu, it's just going to bring pain and conflict and, and misery. Always. And Jesus wants to free us from that. He wants to free us from that. And when he comes again, he's going to finally and fully free us from sexual, self-destructive sexuality. You know what else he's going to free us from? Number three, materialism. Materialism, another thing that looks attractive, but ultimately it's oppressive. Keep going in verse 11. The angel says, the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargo any longer. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, scarlet, all kinds of fragrant wood products, objects of ivory, objects of expensive wood, brass, iron, and marble. God's judgment is going to fall on each one of those things. Which, if I'm honest with you, makes me a little nervous because I've got most of those things in my house, right? I think most of us have most of these things in our house. I've got gold on my finger. got silver in my teeth. I, I put some jewels on Cindy's finger. I put some pearls in her ears, Tahitian pearls. We sleep on fine linen. 500 thread count minimum, all right? That's my standard. We used to sleep on sandpaper when we first got married. I'm too old for that. I can't do that anymore. 500 threads, man, that's what I need. We've got furniture made of expensive wood in our house. And yeah, all wood is expensive now. You've got to pay 10 bucks for a two-by-four, but still. We've got brass fixtures in our house. We've got marble countertops, cultured marble, but you know, about the same, right? We've got so much of this in our house. You probably have at least half. And God is saying to you, get ready to say goodbye. Get ready to weep and mourn if you're attached to these things. And here's the thing. Don't get me wrong. It's not because these things are bad. It's not because gold and silver and jewels are bad. In a couple chapters, we're going to see the new heaven and the new earth. And guess what we're going to see there? Gold and silver and jewels. It's just that the way we value those things is going to completely change. In this earth, 
on this earth, gold is so valuable that we kill for it. In the new heaven, in the new earth, gold is going to be so worthless, we pave the streets with it. Gold isn't bad, but it's not God. It's a tool we can use like asphalt. And and so when Jesus comes and brings judgment on this world, he's finally going to show us what that really looks like. He's going to free us from from being slaves to the things of this world. He's going to free us from from the, the world economy that is just built on stuff and stuff and stuff, piled on more stuff and, and greed and materialism. The way that John describes our world economy is like a prostitute. That's the picture he's painting here. It, it's attractive on the outside and, and ugly on the inside. And if you don't see it that way, maybe... Maybe it's because you still see yourself as a citizen of this world more than you see yourself as a citizen of heaven. Well, God wants to free you right now from from slavery to material things that never bring contentment, only bring competition and conflict. And so you can open your hands today and allow God to take those things and use those things as tools as they were intended You're going to let him take those things out of your outstretched hands right now, or you can let him take those things from your clenched fists one day in the future. Either way, God's going to take those things. It's your choice. It can be now by choice or later by force. But God's going to free you one way or the other. Keep going in verse 13. We're, We're continuing this list of things that The world values and buys and sells things that Jesus is going to turn upside down when he comes back. Look at this list. Cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine flour and grain, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and slaves. Human lives. And those last three words could give you chicken skin and not in a good way. You've got this list of all these things that are bought and sold, gold and silver, cinnamon and spice, olive oil and flour, and oh yeah, human lives. Literally in the Greek, human souls. Let's see, this guy sells flour, this guy sells spices, what do you sell? Oh, human souls. Yeah, that's what slavery and human trafficking really are. We think we got rid of slavery in the 1800s, guess what? There are more slaves alive in the world today than there have ever been, ever before in history. And don't think this is just like a third world problem. There's more than a million people in the United States alone who are living in slave-like conditions. This is a today problem. This is an us problem. But when Jesus comes, he's going to turn everything upside down. He's going to take down slavery finally and fully. And that would have been such good news to the first century Christians who heard this for the first time. Because John was writing to people who many of them were slaves themselves, or indentured servants. The whole Roman Empire was built on slavery. Here's how one scholar said it. Slavery was to the ancient world what oil, gas, electricity, and nuclear power are to our world. Slavery was how things got done. Life was almost literally unthinkable without it. And so if you're living in that world, you buy a slave like you buy a laptop. You use it for a while, and then when it outlives its usefulness, you throw it away and you get a new laptop. 
get a new slave. That's how human life was viewed in those days and, and still in the dark corners of, of our world today. But Jesus is going to come and turn that all upside down, just like he turned the tables in the temple upside down. Because he is still the same God as he was in Exodus. He sets people free. So that's one more thing that he's going to set us free from. Injustice. Injustice. He's going to set us free from cruelty and exploitation. He's going to set us free from humans who treat other humans inhumanely. And so here's where all you Democrats in the room can cheer. You're listening to this and you're going, man, oh, God's sounding a little woke right now, right? He's going to take down like systemic injustice and abuse. Whoa. Well, God's not woke. God is God. He has always been against systemic injustice and abuse from the very beginning, from the, the first book in the Bible. You go back to Genesis. Read Genesis 15 where God says to Abraham, I'm going to send your family to Egypt so they'll survive. And unfortunately, they're going to become slaves for 400 years. But then I'm going to come and I'm going to free them. And I'm going to judge the people who enslaved them. You go all the way to the ending book of the Bible, all the way to Revelation. John is writing to people who are victims of the slave trade. And John knows these people personally. He knows them. There might be some middle-aged guy in the church in Ephesus that John is writing to who was ripped away from his wife and sold to another slave master. There might be a 15-year-old girl in the church in Smyrna who was ripped away from her parents and sold to some shady old man. And as John is writing this, he's going, family, I, I know that your life is marked by injustice, scarred by injustice. But God's going to free you. God is going to free you from that. Look at how he's going to do it. Look at what he says to Babylon in verse 14. And let this imagery just kind of wash over you. John says, the, the fruit you crave has left you. All your splendid and glamorous things, they're gone. You'll never find them again. The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand far off in fear of her torments, weeping and mourning, saying, woe. Woe, the great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, jewels, and pearls. For in a single hour, such fabulous wealth was destroyed. When Jesus comes, everybody's going to lose something. And we have the opportunity to turn to God and give us so much more than what we had. But most of the world won't do that. And so it says every shipmaster seafarer, the sailors, and all who do business by sea stood far off as they watched the smoke from her burning and kept crying out, who was like the great city? They threw dust on their heads. They kept crying out, weeping and mourning, woe, woe, the great city where all those who have ships on the sea became rich from her wealth. For in a single hour, she was destroyed. Rejoice over her, heavens, and you saints, apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced on her the judgment she cast on you. This is the good news for God's people. God is going to judge the people of this world the same way that they judged God's people. 
to look at what it says in verse 21. Then a mighty angel picked up a stone, like a large millstone, and threw it into the sea, saying, In this way, Babylon the great city will be thrown down violently and never be found again. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No craftsman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a mill will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of a groom and bride will never be heard in you again. And all of this will happen because your merchants were the nobility of the earth. Because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. In her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all those slaughtered on the earth. God will bring to an end the violence that characterizes this world. We're sitting here in a nice, air-conditioned, comfortable room, so we don't see it a lot. But this world is marked by violence, and God is going to set us free from that. As John said, it, in, in Babylon is found all the blood of the prophets and saints and of all those slaughtered on the earth. That's how our world operates, by violence and sorcery. God gives authorities weapons to use. Romans 13 says the government does not bear the sword in vain, but inevitably, inevitably, these swords and guns and tanks and planes that are supposed to be used to defend the defenseless and, and carry out justice on, on criminals and aggressors end up being used so that governments can become aggressors themselves. God's people always get caught in the crossfire. Always. I have a friend, I had a friend, who was a church planner in Pakistan. He was arrested for blasphemy, for preaching the gospel. Not out on a street corner, just in a conversation with a person who reported him. Arrested, hauled into court, had his first appearance before the judge. On the way out, he was led out in handcuffs and as soon as he made it out the courtroom doors, extremists shot him to death, right there. Then they went to hunt down his wife and kids. His wife and kids had to crawl into the back of a car into a trunk so they could escape from the city and, and get out of the country. That's how our world treats God's people. We don't see that in America, not yet, but, but we've got no guarantee that things are always going to be the way they are right now. There's no guarantee of that. So we've got a big choice we're going to have to make. Actually, it's the same choice we've got to make right now. Right now. Because according to Revelation, there's two categories of people. There's people who are persecuted by the world, and there's people who are profiting from the world. There's people who are oppressed by the world, and there's people who are in bed with the world. But the good news is, no matter which side you're on, Jesus wants to free you. Because no matter which side you're on, you're a slave. You might be in bed with the world right now, enslaved by materialism, enslaved by immorality. Jesus wants to set you free from that. You might be oppressed by the world right now, oppressed by, by human arrogance, oppressed by injustice. Jesus wants to set you free from that. There's so many things in this world that promise you freedom but end up enslaving you. Things that look so attractive but are ultimately oppressive. 
There's only one place in this world where you can find real freedom. And that place is a person. And so Jesus is pleading with you right now, no matter which side you're on, he is pleading with you right now, come to me and be free. Come to me and be free. Let's pray together. Father, we've got people right now, sitting here right this moment, who are suffering injustice in some profound ways. I pray that you would draw near to them right now. Dealing with abusive systems or government bureaucracies, dealing with abusive bosses, maybe even abusive friends, maybe abusive spouses. I pray that you would show them how Jesus came to free them. Show them how Jesus can set them free. First in spirit and then in reality. We've got other folks who are enslaved to the things of this world in different ways. Enslaved to self-destructive sexuality, enslaved to materialism. Father, show them how they can be free. Fully and finally free because Jesus paid the price for their sake when he died on the cross and rose from the grave. Help us all to turn to Jesus so we can be free. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.